Our scripture reading this morning is found in the Gospel of John. It's John chapter 11, verses 1 through 10 and 17 through 26. Now a man, Lazarus, was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? And Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had, had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Thank you, Randy. I want to give my own welcome, another welcome to all of you here. It is so exciting uh, to see so many people here. uh, And and, and having you here changes a lot of things. Uh, One of the things that changes is the temperature in this room. And uh, just so you know, I have a propensity to pass out. I have, I have yet to pass out preaching, but I think it's really only a matter of time. Um, and this is the kind of atmosphere where it could happen. But I will let you know that if I pass out, I will rise again. It's happened before. There is nothing quite like, there's nothing quite like good news. There's nothing quite like receiving or telling people good news. Right, that, that moment when your boss tells you that you got that promotion at work. That moment when you, you call home, you call your husband, and, because you can't wait. You can't wait till the end of the day, and so 
you call him even though you know he's busy and, and he's, you know, he's dealing with what he's got going on. And you're like, no, you've got to stop. You've got to listen because I have good news, right? There's, there's nothing quite like, there's nothing quite like good news. There's nothing quite like that moment when you open up that, that acceptance letter to a college program. There's nothing quite like that moment when you get to run and tell all of your friends about how you got into this program. I'll never forget the moment when my wife told me that she was pregnant with our daughter, Grace. And I remember I, I came into the, the house, and, and she, she had that sort of giddy, uh, giddy bounce about her uh, that she gets when she's really, really happy. And she said, come here, come upstairs. And so she took me upstairs, and we went into our room, and, and there on the bed was a, a pacifier. And I'll admit, I was confused at first. I wasn't sure what she was trying to communicate to me. Maybe I need to stop talking or something. I'm not really sure. <laughs> but then it hit me, right? Then it hit me, and I, I lost my mind, right? Not, not in a bad way, uh, but in a good way, right? That moment when you receive good news, there's nothing, there's nothing quite like good news. But the best news, the best good news always comes in response to bad news. The best news always comes in response to bad news. Think about that. I mean, if you, if, if you are working in your job and you're, you're kind of t- getting tired of it and maybe it's not uh, satisfying you the way you'd like, and you kind of like something different. So you apply uh, for a job somewhere else and you get that job. Well, that's really exciting. That's, re- that's good news. But what if you've been unemployed for five years and you apply for that job now and you get it? Now, that's really good news. Right, that acceptance letter that you received from that university, that's, that's good news. But what if you've been denied like three or four times before? You see, now it's really good news. It's great news to, to, to find out that you're pregnant. But what if you and your wife have been struggling to get pregnant for many years? And then you find out, you see, then it's really, really good news. I'm so glad that you are here with us to celebrate Easter because Easter Easter is the good news to end all good news. It's the good news to it's the good news to end all good news. It's that kind of good news that when when you really get it you just can't get the smile off of your face. I I I try to trying to figure out how do I find the words to communicate the magnitude of what Easter is all about, and I really can't. So I'm just going to use some catchy phrases that will hopefully drive something home to you because I really don't know how to communicate it. Right? It is the good news to end all good news. And, 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 and one of the things, though, that we're going to see, of course, is that it is good news that is in response to bad news. It's in response to bad news, and... And this is why the first thing that emerges in light of Easter and in light of who Jesus is, and that is that you shouldn't be surprised by bad news. You shouldn't be surprised by bad news. It shouldn't catch you off guard. You see, the Christian understanding of the question of theodicy, the question of why is there suffering, why is there bad news, is very unique. It offers something very unique because, see, here's how the question generally goes. The question goes something like this. How can you possibly believe in the God of the Bible? How can you possibly believe in Jesus when there's so much bad news around? 
I mean, look around you. Open your newspaper. Look, look in your own life. Look in the lives around you. How can you possibly believe in God, in the Bible, and in Jesus when there's so much bad news? And what is so interesting is that when you understand the uniqueness of Jesus, the question gets completely flipped, you see. Because the question is not how can you believe in Jesus when there's bad news. The question is really, um, if there wasn't bad news, how could you believe in Jesus? You see, if there wasn't any bad news, I could not believe in the God of the Bible. If there wasn't bad news, I could not believe in Jesus. It just wouldn't make any sense. It's because there's bad news. It's because there's bad news that opens up the door, opens up the possibility that, okay, all right, if there is a God, well, this is what he's going to look like. Have you ever thought about what the word Jesus means? The word Jesus means to save. To rescue. And the Christian understanding of God is that if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. The simplest way of saying, what is Christianity all about? It's saying, if you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus. And and Jesus' name is to save, so it tells us something very important about the very nature of God. And that this God, at his very core, is a God who saves. So, well, then here's the thing. If he's a God who saves, there has to be something that you're being saved from. So if there wasn't any bad news, I couldn't believe in Jesus. But because there is bad news, it opens up this possibility. Okay, this, I, 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 I see I need a God who, in his very essence, at his very core, is a God who saves. And you don't find this in any other religion. You don't find this particular way of understanding that the very heart of who he, who he is, in fact, the very heart of his name is I am one who saves. So, you shouldn't be surprised by bad news in your life. You shouldn't be surprised when the doctor gives you that bad news about your health. You shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised when you unexpectedly lose your job after many, 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 many years. You shouldn't be surprised when that business partner of yours goes behind your back. You you, you shouldn't be surprised. You shouldn't be surprised by bad news. You shouldn't be surprised by the fact that people sin against you. And you shouldn't be surprised by the fact that you sin against others as well. You shouldn't be surprised by that. Some of us are surprised, I think. We say, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I did that. We act like we're surprised that we, that we sin and, and we beat ourselves up because of this, right? I, I can't believe that I did that. I'm not really like that. Well, here's the thing. Uh, I hate to break it to you, but you are. And so am I. Like, you can't say, well, I'm not like that. Well, you are like that. And I'm like that. You shouldn't be surprised by bad news. You shouldn't be surprised that people bring bad news into your life and that you bring bad news into other people's lives. Now, I'm not saying, of course, that we should be comfortable with this. I'm not saying we should be okay with our sin, with the fact that we harm other people. We shouldn't say things like, well, I'm just human. We shouldn't say things like, well, nobody's perfect. These these excuses that justify it. I'm not saying we should justify it our sin or the sin of other people. I'm just saying we shouldn't be surprised by it. We shouldn't be surprised by it. And this is what we find when we come to this passage, right? 
I mean, this passage is all about bad news. It starts with bad news. Chapter 11, verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. There it is. The Bible doesn't hide from bad news. It just kind of lays it all out there for you. Lazarus was sick. This is a story about Jesus, and Jesus' name is the one who rescues, and so he's got to have something to rescue you from, and so it starts off with bad news. So we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised by bad news, but it goes deeper than that. You can think for a moment while I make sure I don't pass out. It goes deeper than that. Not only should you not be surprised by bad news, you shouldn't be surprised when it just gets worse. You shouldn't be surprised when it goes from bad to worse, because that's what happens. That's what happens here. Right? A man named Lazarus was sick. And then what does Jesus say? It says, Mary and Martha, they come. Well, Mary comes and says, you know, my brother is, is sick, and, and uh, what does Jesus say? He says, this sickness will not end in death. Now, as we're going to see, that's a very hopeful term, a very hopeful phrase. This sickness will not end in death. Uh, but what we need to realize is that um, he's not saying it won't result in death. We're going to get to the hope later. I mean, this is Easter, so I'm going to get to the hope, but we've we got we to understand this. He's saying it won't end in death, meaning... Uh, That's not where it's going to end. But he's not saying it won't result in death. And in fact, as the story goes on, that's precisely what happens. It just gets worse, and then he dies. So not only should we not be surprised by bad news, we we shouldn't be surprised that it just gets worse. Rather, that, that, that illness that you have and you keep hoping it's going to go away. It just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And what this is saying is it, it might get as bad as it possibly can get, and you shouldn't be surprised by that. You shouldn't be surprised by bad news. But just because we shouldn't be surprised by bad news and we shouldn't be surprised if it just gets worse, it does not mean that Jesus does not care about our bad news. Just because we shouldn't be surprised by bad news and, and, and bad news goes from bad to worse doesn't mean that we shouldn't, it doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't care about our bad news. We see here in verse 32 when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, let's think about this here for a moment, because what's going on here is something a little bit perplexing. It's it's that not only do, do things go from bad to worse, but it seems that Jesus allows things to go from bad to worse. This is a little bit perplexing. Right, they tell him, they say, you know, Lazarus is sick. Uh, and what does he say? Well, what does it say? Well, going back to verse, uh, verse 4. Actually, I'm going to skip over verse 4 for now. We're going to come back to it. They tell him, Jesus loved uh, Martha and, his, and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. 
Have you ever had that happen to you? You come to Jesus with some bad news. You say, Jesus, uh, my friend is sick. Uh, I'm going through this challenge. Jesus, can you help me? And he does nothing. You ever had that happen? You ever had that happen where, where you cry out to him? And, and, and that's, you know, I think that's really what's going on here in verse 32. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. There's, there's, there's a little bit of a subtext here. right? Really what she's saying is, why weren't you here? Why weren't you here? Right, it's, it's perplexing. He, he, allows, he allows, not only does he allow bad news to happen to us, he allows it to, to get worse. But just because we shouldn't be surprised by bad news and we shouldn't be surprised by the fact that it just gets worse and the fact that he seems to allow it to happen doesn't mean that he doesn't care. It doesn't mean that he doesn't care. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in trouble, in spirit and trouble. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Everyone say this. Say, Jesus wept. Congratulations, you just memorized an entire verse of Scripture. The shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. And, and what we see here is that even though he allows this to happen, what we can't say is that he doesn't care. What we see in, in Jesus is, what is he doing? He when. When he saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. What we see Jesus doing is entering into our own pain, entering into our own, and, and having this incredible empathy, taking that upon himself. And, and of course, this, you see, this simply foreshadows what will take place when Jesus goes on the cross. You see, here, the Spirit pierces his heart. On the cross, nails would pierce his hands. Here, he weeps for the pain and suffering that they are undergoing. But on the cross, he would take that pain and suffering himself and take it upon himself. You see, this is the uniqueness of the Christian God that you don't find in any other religion, and that is the extent to which our God enters into and takes upon our own pain and suffering. And so we may shake our fist at heaven and say, why God, why? But what we can't say is, God, you don't care. We can shake our fist at heaven and say, why God, why? Why do you allow this? And, and, and of course, as it says, says elsewhere, the ways of God are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. We, we don't really understand all of this. And so, again, we, we are right. We can shake our fist at heaven and say, why God, why? But one thing we cannot say is, God, you don't care. Because what we see in Jesus is that he cares so deeply and he takes it upon himself. So we may not know why. However, this passage doesn't leave us completely in the dark. 
as to why Jesus allows things to go from bad to worse. Going back to verse 4. This sickness will not end in death. No. It is for God's glory. So that God's Son may be glorified through it. You see, God wants to take our bad news and use our bad news for His purposes and for His glory. God wants to take our bad news and use our bad news for His purposes and for His glory. In the book of Genesis, we read the story of Joseph. And Joseph, some of you will remember the story, of course, Joseph is beaten and left naked by his brothers. His brothers throw him in a well and then sell him into slavery. That's bad news. But he manages to, to, uh, to, to work his way up and becomes the number one slave in his slave master's household. But then the slave master's wife falsely accuses him of sexual assault and he's thrown in prison. That's bad news. And then uh, he, he interprets a dream for the Pharaoh's cupbearer and successfully interprets it for him. And, and in, exchange, in exchange, Joseph is like, hey, can you help me get out of prison? Uh, but the cupbearer forgets about Joseph and he stays in prison for two more years. That's bad news. But then Joseph ultimately comes into the power of Pharaoh, interprets a dream for Pharaoh, and interprets this dream that that warns them that a famine is coming, a famine which will devastate the land. And so Pharaoh puts Joseph as his right-hand man and puts him in a position and an opportunity to to, to store up and, and, and store up the grain and, and make preparations so that when this famine comes, uh, the country is ready. And, and so he saves thousands of people. In fact, he even saves his own family. Who they have to come. They have to come to Egypt to, to get grain. And finally, there's this moment where there's this moment where Joseph finally reveals who he is to his brothers. And he says this. He says this. You intended to harm me. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, God wants to use our bad news for His purposes and for His glory. We see the same thing in the story of Lazarus. Jesus, of course, raises Lazarus from the grave It says in verse 45, Therefore many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did put their faith in Him. And this tells us something very significant about how God is glorified, how Jesus is glorified, how glory is brought to Him. And it's simply this. God is most glorified when we are drawn to Him. That's what brings Him glory. What brings God glory is when we turn And we say, God, I need you. You are the one that I want. You are the one that I need. That's what gives him glory. And so what I want to suggest to you, is it possible that God wants to use your bad news 
for his purposes and for his glory. Is it possible that God wants to use your bad news to draw people to him? Jesus cares about our bad news. Jesus wants to use our bad news for his purposes and for his glory. And ultimately, Jesus is bad news for your bad news. At the very heart of Easter is that Jesus is bad news for your bad news. Jesus speaking to Martha says, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. We are continuing in our series on the I am statements of Jesus. We're calling this series Jesus 101. And the whole idea is is to just try to look at who Jesus is, try to get an understanding of who he is. And, and so if you're new or visiting, I'm really glad that you're here. Because this, is a, this entire series is an opportunity for us to look at just what does Jesus say about himself? Who is Jesus? And I think this is good for people who are new, but also for people who have been following Jesus for many years because we need to be brought back to these central truths. It's so easy for us to be distracted. And so we've been looking at these different I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. And here we see, I am the resurrection and the life. And, and, and what does that mean, I am the resurrection and the life? It, it really just simply means this. Jesus is bad news for your bad news. When Jesus causes Lazarus to rise from the dead, but, but this really just points to something much larger it just points. Because, I mean, Lazarus comes back to life, but there's nothing in the Bible that suggests that he didn't then die again at some other point. I, it's not like, you know, Lazarus is still running around Palestine somewhere telling stories of old, right? So it was a sign. It was pointing to something deeper. I am the resurrection and the life. It's ultimately pointing to Jesus' own resurrection in which he completely defeats death. And in that resurrection, and this is our understanding, you understand what what is Jesus' resurrection. And and we understand it when we understand this conversation between him and Martha. And what's going on here is is he says, well, Lazarus will rise from the dead. And and, and Martha says, yeah, he'll he'll rise at the resurrection of the dead at at the end. And and I think actually, you know, we can't know for sure, but you have to wonder if if she says that, and she just kind of says it. Like, yeah, yeah, I know, because the, the, the understanding, the Jewish understanding of what happened is that there would come this day when God would ultimately conquer death and raise his people to life, that heaven and earth would be united and, and that we would be freed from death. And, and this was a view that was, was central, to, well, actually it was held by Jews, it was debated amongst Jews, but even amongst those who held to it, um, it really wasn't talked about that much. You actually don't see that much discussion about life after death in the Old Testament. You really don't. But in the New Testament, it's all over the place. Why was that? 
Because they had come to see that that final resurrection, that day when God would renew and restore all things and raise his people to eternal life, that that had come in the present, in the person of Jesus, in anticipation of that. That it was the evidence that said to them, this is for real. What I did for Jesus is what I will do for all who put their faith in me. What does it mean I am the resurrection and the life? It means I'm bad news for your bad news. And so the resurrection refers to the final state, us being raised to eternal life. But it is also used in, in a, a more of a metaphorical sense. It's used not simply to talk about ultimate victory over death and eternity, but it's also used to talk about life that we can experience now. In the Old Testament, we find the language of resurrection is used in both ways. Uh, it'll be used to refer to final resurrection, final renewal, restoration of all things, literally being raised and physically restored. But it is also used metaphorically to talk about the renewal of the people of God. So in Ezekiel 37, for example, the rising of the bones is primarily a metaphor for the renewal of the people at a spiritual level. So when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he's talking about life that can be experienced now. He's saying those struggles that you have in your marriage. He's saying, if you turn to me and you put your faith in me, you can look at those struggles in your marriage in the eye and say, I have bad news for you. Maybe you are here today and you are struggling with some sort of anxiety or fear about something in your life. And, and this anxiety just continues to come and overwhelm you. The message of Easter is that you can look that bad news in the eye and you can say, I've got bad news for you. Perhaps you are here today and, and you carry with you a deep shame or guilt for something in your past. And it just weighs on you, that bad news that just sits in you. The heart of Easter is that in light of Jesus and in light of the fact that he came and he died on the cross, he entered into our sin to forgive us of our sin and then ultimately rose from the grave. It you can look at that shame and that guilt, you can look it in the eye and you can say, bad news, I've got bad news for you. Maybe you are here today and there's some sin issue that you're struggling with, some behavior, some pattern that you just wish you weren't this way. You wish you, wish you could change and, and you wonder, what does God think of me and, and can anything be done about this? And one of the things you notice is, is that, you know, it, it seems like not only do you have this, but it seems to just get worse. Right? You, you pray, you're like, God, help me to change, help me to become different in this area of my life. And instead what happens is that it just seems to get worse and worse and worse. And as we've seen, we shouldn't be surprised by that. But ultimately the hope of Easter is this, is that no matter what you are facing, because Jesus rose from the grave, you can look it in the eye and say, I've got bad news for you. You see, there's no other religion that has this same foundation. There's no other religion that has this foundation. With all due respect to other religious traditions, 
The reality is, is that Confucius died, Muhammad died, Buddha died, but Jesus died and he rose from the grave. And that's why if you're new, if you're visiting and you don't know what to think and you're hesitant and you're suspicious and you don't know what you think about Christianity, what I would tell you is look into the resurrection of Jesus. And I believe that anybody who really looks into that and looks into the evidence for the resurrection, I believe you will find it incredibly compelling. I'm not going to go into that now. That would take a lot of time. But I would encourage you to look into that, and I would be happy to present you with some resources so that you can come to see that, and you can come to place your hope in the reality that no matter what you are facing today, you can look that bad news in the eye and say, I've got bad news. Dear God, words cannot express what you have done for us. And so, Lord, we just come before you this morning and pray that your spirit would work in our hearts. You would work in our spirits and, and even express what it is that we can't express. God, I pray for those who are here today (coughs) who are really hurting. God, I pray that in this place today they might find hope. God, I pray that in this place they would see the incredible God that we have. Lord, I pray that maybe for some it would be a time to recommit themselves to you. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who has turned away from you, that this would be a time when they would run back to you and say, Jesus, I need you. I need a Savior because there's bad news in my life and I need you. And maybe some of us for the first time would make that prayer. God, we praise you that you died on the cross for us and rose from the grave.